What you can in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. It is so great just uh, uh, connecting again with so many of you and just sensing the warmth and, and just relationship again. Um, I still haven't quite got over the cold in the north. But uh, glad you're all warm people. No. Oh. John chapter 20. John chapter 20 and verse 19. I want to read from a very uh, familiar bit of scripture. Um, and I just want to help you track what God's been doing um, through the gospel of John at this moment. John is writing um, about the crucifixion and he's writing about a particular moment in the garden with Jesus. Some of you, if you have done any study, you'll understand that uh, the whole crucifixion scene happens around a garden, an inner garden, and they're stuck in this garden, and Jesus is praying in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane. He's now in the tomb in the garden, and Mary is just about to encounter him. And uh, in John chapter 20, verse 19, we pick up, on, on something of what's happening and, and something uh, I'm going to trust that God's going to bring some revelation out of that for us. So John chapter 20 verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of Jews, they're stuck in this room now because they're a bit afraid of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now how many of you know that if you were in a locked room, Praying for a few days and suddenly Jesus appeared, you'd need to hear the words, peace be with you. <laughs> when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. I get to travel to so many different parts of the world and see what God's doing. It's an incredible privilege. Um, I want to tell you that we are on the winning side. That God is still moving. His church is still growing. I met a man just recently who's responsible for more than 10.6 million Chinese people coming to know Jesus in inland China during a season when China was completely closed to the gospel. He has seen numerous resurrections of the dead. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Um, I mean, just imagine seeing someone raised from the dead. Just incredible. And, uh, you know, we, I get to travel and see all of these incredible things and, and seeing God move, seeing that actually God's plan in the Bible is true, that one day we will be a victorious people and we'll see the earth covered with his glory. It's an incredible privilege. And uh, God is restoring a message in these days to the church around an understanding of his kingdom, uh, it, the king's domain. It's the place where God dwells in his glory and in his, in his majesty and in his, in his splendor. And that domain is meant to be breaking out on the earth. That's why Jesus came, right? He came with the message, repent, change the way you think. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he's come to release the kingdom, God's domain, the place where God dwells on the earth, so that his rule and reign 
which is incredibly gracious and kind, would be released on the earth. God is not some grumpy old man waiting to smite you. He's a really good king waiting to make sure that you come into all the success that he has for you. Amen, Julian. Good point. And, um, and his mission is that we would be a people caught up in this extension of kingdom dominion, which is why he says the kingdom of God does not come through observation by going, it's over there, or over there, but the kingdom of God is in you. You get to partner with heaven and the sovereignty of God in extending his kingdom wherever you go. Isn't that incredible? What a good dad he is. He's such a good father. And I was just thinking about uh, this particular church and uh, my brief history with this church and the incredible influence that has come from this church. You realize that there are many, many nations who've had an impact of the gospel because you dared to believe God for it. So you can say amen and pat yourself on the back. This is a good thing. <laughs> We have this little thing at the king's arms. I'm going to teach you very quickly because I think you need to learn this. Do you know, humility is not denying what God has made you to be. It's recognizing that God is the one who made you to be it. And so we need to learn how to receive compliments. And so at the king's arms, the way we teach how to receive compliments is we have a little phrase called, suck it up. So when somebody says... And we look at each other in the eye. We go, Julian, you are a fine specimen of a man. I will go and suck it up. And then I'll go, thank you. Do you have anything else you'd like to say to me? And I kind of think some of you need to learn how to suck up some good compliments. Your church has had a massive impact on the nations of the earth. That's it. You guys have got it. Suck it up. Many of you have given into things that have shaped and and changed people's lives. Many of you have been serving in this church for years, loving the purposes of God, loving Teesside, and the result is you've got a multicolor, multinational, multi-ethnic community to the glory of God. Suck it up. It's a good one, that. But as I began to think about this church and begin to pray for you, thinking, what does God want to say? I felt God wanted to speak about rediscovering your apostolic mission. Rediscovering your apostolic mission. You see, sometimes we can think that our, and the word apostolic means to be sent, and I'm going to explain that in a moment. Um, we sometimes think that our mission is connected to an apostle who's residential. In other words, now that Jeremy is not with us or not at this church, is our apostolic mission over? No, no, it's just begun. It's just begun. And I love this text because there's so many little bits in here that are full of juicy, yummy goodness from heaven that if we understand it, it will propel us into mission in a way that will take the burden out of mission and restore the joy into mission. Because I don't know about you, but you know, I, I grew up in Christian, uh, a Christian home, and Saturday mornings was street preaching day. And I used to have to like psych myself up to think, oh my gosh, today I'm probably going to be shouted at, ignored, 
You got ridiculed. I'm going to do it for Jesus. Here I go. And we sometimes think that picking up our cross is all about suffering. When actually picking up your cross is all about promise of resurrecting life. You see, the cross now does not look like a scornful place to us. It's a place of resurrecting life for us. It's a place where we get to pick up promises from heaven. And so when the Bible says, pick up your cross, for me, it's a light. It's not a chore. It's not a burden anymore. And I love what God's doing in this context because it's really important that we understand our mission and the context in which we're called to declare what God has said to us. Now, this story takes place in a garden. And how many of you know that the beginning of the world happened in a garden? The Garden of Eden, the place of pleasure. I was teaching some of the young people about this the other night. Eden means pleasure. Your whole life was designed to flow out of pleasure. Well, that went over like a lead balloon. Your whole life was designed to come out of a place of great joy, delight, and pleasure in him. It's great. Do you know that the sweat of the brow only came after the fall? Not before the fall. That God's design, even in your workplace, believe it or not, was that you would delight in him, and from your delighting in him, work would be done to his glory. Some of you are like, you need to come to my work, Julian. (laughs) But he raises up this man called Adam, and Adam and Eve are meant to tend the garden. They are essential gardeners. That's what they are. They're meant to tend this garden and cause the garden to cover the whole earth. That was God's original intent, and it's still God's intent. And you know what I love about Jesus What I love about the Father, what I love about the Holy Spirit, is they don't leave anything unturned, but in everything they redeem all things so that it becomes what it was always meant to be. And I love how the beginning of the world starts in a garden of Eden. It starts with a gardener called Adam, and it's redeemed in this picture of John chapter 9 in a garden again, where Jesus reveals himself as a gardener. The new Adam. (laughs) The new Adam, our older brother, who lived perfectly, not like the first Adam who fell, not like the first Adam who couldn't attain to what God wanted, but it's a new Adam, a new gardener. And in this context of this new garden, it speaks about what God's called us to do. And you look at John. John uses this phrase, it's the first day of the week, quite regularly in this particular bit after the resurrection. The reason why he does that is because it's a reference right back to the Garden of Eden when on the first day of the week, creation could begin to take its course and flourish. In the same way, now that Jesus has been resurrected to newness of life, John starts off the first day of the first week speaking about the new creation that can now flourish and cover the earth. Or you can get excited about that because that's about you. It literally means now that the very resurrection life is on tap for anyone to take so that whenever we live in that resurrection life, new creation breaks out wherever we go. I like that. You see, you're not just a better old version of yourself. You're not just a nice moral version of yourself. You're not just a, I've had a makeover version of myself. No, no, you are a brand new creation. 
The minute you become a Christian, you access that resurrection life so you can live as a new creation. And Jesus, the gardener, on the first day of the first week, appears to reveal this new creation, to reveal who is. Not only that, I love how he redeems the place of women in this context. A woman messed it up in the garden. Help us, Jesus. And... Um, <laughs> In the new, in this garden, we see that Mary comes to him. And who has the privilege of revealing the resurrected Christ as the first messenger? A woman. Woman, you can shout amen at that point. That where a woman lost it in the garden, God restores her to her rightful place and says, you get to be the first proclaimer of the resurrected Lord. Isn't he good? He doesn't leave anything unturned. He redeems everything. That's the goodness of God. And not only that, you'll see that in in, uh, John chapter 20, I think it's verse verse 17, Mary wants to hug Jesus. He says, do not cling to me, for I've not ascended to the Father yet, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father. Up until this point, Jesus always referenced his father in a personal way, but never referenced his father in a general sense concerning the disciples. But because of newness of life, because of the resurrection, because he is the first one born into glory as it were, so that many sons could come into glory. He now not only says that he's my father, but he's your father. I love the fact that Jesus, who is the son of God, became the son of man to bring many, many sons of men back to being the sons of God. And right in that context, he changes something that's very cataclysmic. He says, not only is he my father, but it's yours now too. Everything we do on apostolic mission, everything we do in serving the purpose of God flows from this revelation. Jesus did not just die to get rid of your sin and make you shiny and squeaky clean. He died so you can be restored to the Father. Not only did the curtain get torn so we could enter into the domain of the Father, the curtain got torn so that the domain of the Father could get out and cover the earth. Brothers and sisters, the incredible thing that happens in this garden is that we now get to enter into the reality of deep, meaningful relationship with a Father who loves us. Like really loves us. The kind of love that is scandalous. The kind of love that should be shouted from the rooftops. The kind of love that makes no sense, not even according to earthly uh, 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 Processing, it makes no sense. It's a kind of love that transcends the intellectual mind. It's a kind of love that causes everything in you to respond, You are my Abba. You're my Father. You see, I'm, I'm on a mission to reclaim the image of God. I'm on a serious PRO mission 
to make God known, not as some grumpy old man waiting to smite you, but as a good, loving father, because his anger has been satisfied in Jesus. You can get happy at that point, because it's really good. He's not waiting for you to make a wrong move. He's really, really good. And it's in this context of redeeming everything that Jesus appears in this room. I would love to have seen their faces. I can't wait to see this on the movie Reels of Heaven one day. It's like suddenly there he is, disciples are like, oh my scone. Jesus has just appeared in the middle of the room. I'm sure they didn't say scone. Maybe they said something else. And Jesus says, peace to you. Peace be with you. He says it twice. And I love the fact that this word peace is so rich. In fact, it's so rich that it passes your understanding. I love what one commentator says. He says, this is what the meaning of peace or shalom means. The concept of shalom is expressed in the webbing together of God and humans and all creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than a mere peace of mind or ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. I like that. You see, God's peace coming to you is a peace that anchors you through storms. It's a peace that anchors you through suffering. But the ultimate goal of his peace is that his prosperity and his goodness will be on display in your life. People say to me, Julian, are you one of those prosperity preachers? Yes, I am. Because heaven is not going through a recession. Neither is it broke. Neither is God going, I wonder what I'm going to do about Greece. I just, uh, I'm dumbfounded. Maybe we'll ask the Germans to help out. No, no, he's not seated there thinking, what am I going to do? He has it all in control, under control, and there is no lack in heaven. And the last time I checked, my sole provider is him. This is shalom. Peace means that in the midst of what I face as difficulties, I know his good and his goodness sooner or later is going to be made manifest in my life. Despite the suffering that I'm going through. And so this in mind, I love what Jesus says. He says, I want to send you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. That word sent there is the word apostello. It's where we get the word apostolic from. And it's a word that Jesus is intentionally borrowing from the culture of the day. 
You see, in the culture of the day, what would happen is the Roman Empire would send, they would apostello, they would send an apostle into a particular region that they wanted to govern, that they wanted to rule, and they would Romanize, they would release the culture of the Romans, the way the Romans did mass, the way the Romans did commerce, the way the Romans did business, whatever it was that was found in the capital city of Rome was then replicated and replaced in the place that they wanted to control. And so when Jesus says, I'm sending you the, the, the Euros, the disciples understand that this word apostolo means that I am releasing you to release the culture of heaven wherever you go. I'm releasing you to release the way things are done in the capital city on earth. And not only that, they would have understood that if the Romans sent a delegate, sent an apostle into a region, it means that they were backed with more resource than the country could afford because their resource was connected to the capital city. In the same way, when we are sent as the people of God, we are backed with heavenly resource so that our dependency is not on what we have, but on what he already has for us. You're lucky to get happy, please. That was, uh, I'm preaching my heart out here. <laughs> do, you, do you understand what that means? It means that you're going to work, you're going to university, you're going to any place of influence. You have the authority and the backing of heaven in that place. Shika bazooka. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Now, how was Jesus sent? And we'll try and come in for a quick landing because I want to do some ministry. How was Jesus sent? Just a few thoughts. Well, Jesus was born from above. He had a supernatural birth. He went through the waters of baptism. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's Jesus' Initial sending. How are we sent? Well, we're born from above. That's what it means to be born again. We go through waters of baptism. And if you haven't gone through the waters of baptism, can I encourage you, don't be disobedient. (laughs) The Bible says get baptized. I'm just joking. But can I encourage you, the Bible says that we should be baptized. It's a biblical response. And then be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same way Jesus was sent. Not only was Jesus sent like that, but we're sent like that. Jesus was sent from the Father. It was a relational sending. That's why Jesus said, I'm about my Father's business. Listen, the reality about being um, about your Father's business means that it's not my performance that counts, it's the fact that I'm a son that counts. You see, in this next season... True apostolic ministry is not going to be determined by how much fruit we have in terms of people or church plants or numbers, but by how many sons we're producing on mission for the Father. Brothers and sisters, the great thing about my life is that if I didn't do any of the stuff that I'm doing for God, I'd still be a son of God. And some of you are beating yourself, and I must work harder for him. 
and my serve harder for him. I better double tithe this week. Well, that's a good idea. I better work hard. And you're missing the point of enjoying your sonship. Jesus is so chilled out that the worst of the worst sinners like hanging out with him. When last time you had some sinners hang out with you? I'll move on quickly. (laughs) Jesus comes with a transformative culture from heaven. He breaks through time, space, and he comes with heaven's culture to release heaven's culture on the earth. In the same way, as much as I delight in the reality of so many different colors, people, nationalities in this room, the trump card is heaven's culture. And so what we've got to do when we're trying to make decisions about how we do community, how we reach the lost, is not look to another book, but look to what heaven is like. Because when we get what heaven's like, it gets released from the earth. Jesus comes with a transformative culture. He's sent to transform the culture. He's sent with heavenly resource. Oh, I like this one. Jesus is sent with heavenly resource. He says, my food is to do the will of the Father. I have food you know not of. My food is to do the will of the Father. Jesus had sustainable, ongoing, increasing resource that was connected to the supply of heaven. I want to suggest to you that for most of us, we have to relearn how to lock in to the supply of heaven so that our working for God does not become a chore or a burden, but becomes a delight because he's the one who's supplying the grace to do it. And I want to, and I hope it's okay if I go here for a moment, help me Jesus. The resource that heaven has to offer is often determined by how you deal with your earthly finances. Jesus says, if you cannot deal with earthly finances, how can you deal with heavenly riches? It's gone very quiet. Can I say to you that your 10% tithe is not going to reach Teesside? I'm going to preach to these people over here for a moment. (laughs) Your campus entire is not going to reach Keyside. We need some men and women who say, God, give me some super duper brilliant ideas to make multi-million so that we can reach Keyside. We need some men and women who say, God, I need to get that one patent idea that will unlock resources so the kingdom can extend, not only in Teesside, but to nations like Tanzania, nations like Canada, places that we're going together on apostolic mission. Because actually, when we learn how to be faithful with what he's given us, he increases to us so that a heavenly resource gets released. Don't worry, I'm not going to take up an offering. (laughs) But I do want to suggest to you, that we have got to think beyond an internet transfer that happens once a month around our finances that requires no faith. Anything that is not of faith is not of God, the Bible says. (laughs) 
Help me, Jesus. <laughs> I'll just let it linger just for a little longer. No, I'll move on. <laughs> Jesus was sent with authority. Do you know you and I are sent with authority? Do you know there's a difference between authority and power? Power is the ability to act. Authority is the permission or the delegated influence to act. Do you know that you and I have been delegated with authority from heaven, given permission to act on behalf as brokers of heaven on earth? Do you know that? And it's when you understand that you've got authority, that you understand how to overcome the power of the enemy. You see, the enemy's got power, but he doesn't have authority. The Bible says that he was stripped of all of his authority at the cross. He's got ability to act. The enemy's powerful. He can destroy you. Trust me, he can. But the only way he can is through the cooperation of your agreement by giving him authority to do so. Most Christians struggle with spiritual warfare as if it's somewhere out there when actually the greatest place of spiritual warfare happened at Golgotha. There's a cross on Golgotha, the Bible says, that Jesus died on. And the word Golgotha means the place of your skull. The greatest place of spiritual warfare that you and I will face is not externally by someone out there. It's going to be in our thought life, in the place of our skull. And until we apply the resurrected Lord Jesus and the cross to our minds, we will always live in tension of defeat when actually God's called us to be overcomers. You see, when you agree with the enemy, and I hear this often, can I just say this? I hear this more often in the north than I do in the south. And so I want to just bring a cultural shift, if that's okay. I'm such a loser. I'm so pathetic. I'm not educated enough. I'm not clever enough. I'm not posh enough. I'm not... When you agree with the enemy's assessment of you, you empower him to work those very things out in you and through you. I'm a king's kid. I've got more royalty than the queen. I've got heavenly resource. I've got the Holy Spirit who leads me into all truth. You want to talk about degrees? I've got more degrees than a thermometer because the Holy Spirit who is omniscient (laughs) lives inside of me. We've got to change the way we think. We've got to change the way we think. Because we've got authority. It means that when we walk into a place and there are people over us, we're walking with heaven's authority, which happens to be the highest authority. Coming for a... Oh, last, two last points and I'm done. And this is going to be so profound, it is going to blow you out of your chairs. Are you ready for this? Help me, Lord. I just sent some angels getting ready right now. (laughs) Jesus was sent with joy. Just leave that for a moment. The church has been baptizing lemon juice for far too long. (laughs) And we need to restore joy. I'm on a mission to reclaim Happy Clappy again. We need some Happy Clappies in church again. 
I'm tired of grumpy people sitting on the chair. Impress me if you can. Yeah, that was, well, that Greek word wasn't quite that, but yeah. The result of Jesus' ministry was joy. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. Wherever he went, joy was released. People got happy. And just so we can doubly understand, I once had somebody say to me, happiness depends on happenings. Well, the Bible says that if you are blessed, that word blessed means extremely happy. And so just to underscore the fact that you not only are going to be blessed in all of your circumstances, i.e. extremely happy even in the midst of difficulties, but you're also going to have joy. Remember one pastor said to me, Julian, you focus too much on joy. I'm really offended by the happiness in this church. Joy is so emotional. Aren't you afraid of emotions? I said, not in England, I'm not afraid of emotions. Besides, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit. And if you can practice love and self-control, some of you need to learn how to practice laughing at home a little bit more. We need some happy people. Please, sweet Jesus, make us happy again. We need some people who are filled, because here's why. Joy is the key to strength. Joy is the key to supply. The Bible says that his joy is my strength. He supplies all my needs according to his riches in glory. It says that out of his unspeakable joy, I get to encounter the things that he has for me. We need some happy people again. More joy, Lord. Because <laughs> you see, joy is, you know, joy was so important to Jesus that he was willing to endure the cross because of the... Some people say to me, there's no purpose in all this laughter, all this rolling on the floor and getting happy. What's that all about? We don't really like that. Well, I tell you what, you ask those people who've been rolling on the floor when they're going through suffering what they need. And they'll go, it's because of joy that I can stand in the midst of this difficulty. It's because of joy that even though I've got cancer, I can still trust Jesus that he's good. It's because of joy that even though I'm going through a divorce, I know he's going to be good to me. And somehow at the end, what is true of him will be true of me. And how he works it all out will be for my good and for his glory. I must live in perpetual increasing joy. And so I, I, I just want to just give you a little hint in um, the identity of your church, Jubilee. <laughs> it means that the characteristic of this church is really, really happy people who've had their debts removed, their sins forgiven, and they've come into radical freedom. We need some joy people again. Do you know, I often tell people, if you don't know how to laugh, fake it. 
Because the minute you fake it, somehow something kicks into you that you actually start laughing at the fact that you're faking a laugh. <laughs> so unspiritual. Somebody said to me, all this laughing. You can't, you, some people are laughing in the flesh. How else can I laugh? <laughs> it's my flesh, it's my body. How else am I supposed to laugh? Have a drink quickly. It's free. I know it's only Sunday morning, but hey, it's 12 o'clock, so it's, it's all free now. Have a, have a fresh drink from the Holy Spirit. My last point is this. You were sent in the power of the Spirit. The authenticating mark of Jesus was that he's filled with the Holy Spirit. To be an apostolic people is to be a people of the Spirit. That means more than just bringing one or two gifts on a Sunday morning. It means more than just being charismatic. It means that the very life and dynamism of the power of the Spirit is at work. It means that when you come on a Sunday morning, it can no longer be predictable. It means that you don't know what's going to happen when you go to work because you've been led by the Spirit. It means that you're not quite sure what's going to happen at big group because you were praying in the morning and the Lord gave you something and it might just crack something open at big group that will bring people into more freedom. It means that we no longer settle for two songs, you know, a kind of interpretation, then the offering and some announcements. But we're expecting that the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth by his spirit will actually rock up at our meetings and mess us up for eternity. You know, one of the things that I'm learning about Jesus is that he's very inconvenient. <laughs> you don't add him on as a lifestyle accessory. You don't download him as an application to your iPhone. He's inconvenient. I've been a meeting, and I want to end with this because I believe God wants to minister in some of these areas to some people. I was doing a meeting, uh, teaching on kingdom principles. I did a whole week of teaching on the kingdom, the king and the kingdom, how the kingdom works, because there's so much. When you study about the kingdom, you realize that there's a whole lot of stuff that we've missed that God has for us. And I was teaching in particular around the father, who's a good king, who wants to love us. And uh, I was teaching this in Madagascar. And uh, if you know anything about Madagascar, it's one of the third poorest nations in the world. Um, and we have people coming in from the jungle to learn about the king of the kingdom, church planters who are planting into unreached people groups in Madagascar. And uh, numbers of them do not have the luxury or the privilege of proper hygiene. And so I'm teaching on the Father Heart of God. And um, at the end, I think brilliant idea. We'll do what we do at the King's Arms. We'll just love on some people and invite people to come and receive a hug. Girls can go with girls, guys will go with guys, and we'll just hug them and love on them, you know, and just let them experience something of the love of God in a tangible way. And the Holy Spirit is jam-packed into the room. I'm sensing his presence, and my eyes are closed, and I've just opened up the ministry time. People are receiving hugs. I'm kind of trying to administrate what's happening because there's lots of people receiving 
demons were leaving people, people who had been oppressed by the demonic left, uh, people getting joy. It was an incredible moment. And the next minute, I, I smell this person before I see the person. <laughs> and they weren't wearing the latest Gucci aftershave. It was, it was a serious smell. <laughs> and I opened my eyes, and there's this old man who's about early 70s, I think. Not that that's old, sorry. Um, he's in his early 70s, and he is smelly. I mean, you can smell him before he gets to you. He's kind of got um, the aroma about, you know, a few uh, kind of uh, uh, inches around him. And I'm thinking, this is not the aroma of Jesus. And uh, he's really, really smelly. And he walks up to me and he wants to hug me. I'm thinking, can I grab another person to do this? <laughs> None of you would think like this, of course. Never. Because he's so Christian. So I'm like, I hug him. And I'm literally wanting to throw up because it was, he, he really smelled bad. And then he begins to ugly cry on my shoulder. So now this is a brand new shirt that I'm wearing. And he's messing it with ugly cry. I mean, it was snot and tears. It was not, it was not like TV pleasant, all right? This was ugly cry. And the more he's hugging me and the more he's ugly crying, the more I'm going, oh, oh, Lord, help him. And I, I was so grateful when it ended. I was like, thank you, Jesus, for freedom for him. And thank you for freedom. I'm like fresh air. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we had some testimony time afterwards, and this guy gets up, and uh, it always gets me, sorry, this but He gets up and he says to me, I've never, ever been hugged by anyone in my entire life. In the 70s. So I don't know what it's like to know the Father's love. But I'm so excited. I get to go home tonight, and I'm going to hug every one of my children for the first time. You see, the ultimate expression of apostolic ministry, the ultimate expression of why we do church, it's not because we want to fill this building. Please God, fill it. It's not because we want to have a slick Sunday morning. Please God, let's have good Sunday mornings that actually bless people. It's not because we even want effectual possessions in government or schools it's because we want to reveal the Father's love. And the only way we can reveal the Father's love is if we experience ourselves. You see, hurt people, hurt people. Free people, free people. And right now, can you sense the tangible presence of the Father right here? Can you sense how eager he is to meet with you? Can you sense how eager he is to love on you? And I don't know whether you've had good, bad, brilliant, ugly fathers who maybe never revealed their love or maybe they were absent. I don't know what that is, but what I do know is that he's a good father and he's really happy and he wants to love on you right now. And for some of you right now, you might be disappointed with your fathers. You might be angry with your father. You might be really in love with your father. I've got a great dad who I love loads. He's one of my heroes. 
but he sure ain't perfect. A papa in heaven is really perfect. And I just feel right now God wants to come and reveal his love to you. As the Father has sent me, so I want to send you. See, it's not about the mission, it's about the Father. It's not about the apostolic churches or spheres, it's about the Father. It's not about doing church professionally, it's about the Father. I've made it my mission to father a generation. Made it my mission to be someone who never moves away from this message of the Father. Because if we get this right, we get apostolic mission right. If you want to just encounter afresh the Father's love, I'm going to ask you just to quickly stand. You just say, you know what, Julian, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I want some more. Just stand. Heavenly Father is just here right now, and Papa is coming to you right now. Some of you don't even like that word, Papa. You don't even like that word, Daddy. You don't, you don't know how to relate to it. But you see, the Holy Spirit wants to come right now and fill you so that by the Holy Spirit you can cry out, Abba. You can cry out, Daddy God. Some of you have lost your joy. You've just become boring and lemon-sucking. And everything's negative. And um, it's just really difficult. God wants to release some joy. Some of you become grumpy and disappointed with God. You know, I don't know why it's not working out right for you. I don't know why I go through suffering. I don't know why you go through suffering. It's an age-old mystery, but what I do know is that he's good. He's really, really good. Father, right now, I thank you that you are so close that you want to meet with people. If you're not a Christian here today, today's a really good day to become one. You've heard the gospel being spoken. A good father sends his son to pay a price. And his son willingly accepts the mission to pay a price so that many more sons and daughters could come in. The key to becoming a Christian is very simple. Acknowledging that you're wrong and that he's right. Acknowledging that the price that he paid is more than enough to cover your sin. The incredible thing is you'll enter into life knowing that you don't have to walk under guilt, you don't have to walk under condemnation, but you get to walk in the greatness and the victory of Jesus. So if you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you, at the end I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. In fact, not to respond to the gospel, to respond to Jesus. You're not responding to words, you're not responding to theology, you're responding to a person called Jesus. So at the end, I'll do that. I'm going to take another 10 minutes and then we'll end. But right now, the Holy Spirit is coming upon many people. Father, we release your anointing all over this place right now. We release your presence right now. God, I release your heart. Right now, his presence is coming upon some of you right now. You're just sensing his presence. Some of you right now, you feel like you want to weep. Others of you feel like you want to laugh. Others of you are sensing the shalom, the peace of God. Let it come right now. Let his peace rest on you. 
Father, right now, I release an avalanche of your joy. I release an avalanche of the Father's love right now. I release it right now, God. I release your goodness. I release your favor right now. Oh, God, get it. Let it bubble up. Let it bubble up in the hearts of men and women. God, there's some of you who just become so weary and tired. Release your joy. Oh, Papa, release your goodness right now. Release your favor right now. Free some people up. Free some people up. Freedom. Freedom, freedom, freedom right now. The kind of freedom that gets people happy. Lord, release your joy, the joy that will actually move our faces.